On November 13th, Brian Smith was officially named the 18th manager in Windy City Thunderbolts franchise history. Now as he navigates his way through his first spring training at the helm of the Thunderbolts, he was kind enough to take some time out and sit down with me to talk about his journey to this position and his plans for the upcoming baseball season. Here is that interview in its entirety. Let's jump right into the job with the Thunderbolts. You were hired last fall after the 2018 season ended for Windy City. You were in Rockford last year, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But just starting off with the Thunderbolts, what was the process like for you getting hired for this job? Yeah, you know, I got a phone call um, in the fall of last year from the owner of the team, and we kind of went through my thought process of this potentially being an option for me and different ways that I I saw roster building and approaching becoming a manager of professional baseball. Differences I would see from the collegiate game the past three summers back into the Frontier League. Um, and really, you know, my familiarity with this organization and the front office and the area is something that I know the owner was a big fan of. What was your reaction when you found out that you got hired for the job? I was very happy, um, probably not as happy as my parents. Having grown up in Chicago Ridge, not too far from here, I know they will be at a lot of our games, but they were pumped. Um, a lot of my buddies were pumped. I was excited and at the same time um, nervous, um, overwhelmed, wasn't quite sure of what I was going to tell the, the GM in Rockford because I had full intention on going back. I had already started creating the roster for the 2019 summer up there and it was pretty much it was pretty much done and then I was gonna have to walk away from the 20 plus something kids that I had you know committed to for this upcoming summer but it was an opportunity that I was ready to take wanted to take and was ready for so we can still go to Rockford right now and see another another Brian Smith production out there on the field in Rockford yeah there's uh, a good portion of the roster that's up there now was put while I was still there how difficult is that to walk away from that commitment? And obviously, you get another job opportunity. I don't think anybody's going to blame you for being able to, to take that at the professional level. But did you have a lot of hard conversations with those people? It was tough. You know, I have a lot of second and third year guys going back to Rockford. So, you know, college guys that I've spent the last three years with, you get close to personally, families, things like that. They get comfortable. I get comfortable. And now it was one of those things where I was accepting the job. But now I have to tell these guys that I'm I'm moving away and I'm going to step away. I'm going to put them in good hands. I'm going to help the, the GM up there find the best manager for them and make sure that they're going to get taken care of the way that they were, take, they were taken care of beforehand. So this upcoming season will be your fourth summer as a professional manager. The first managing professional players, but your fourth year as a professional manager. Was that something that you had looked into over the course of your career or, or over the course of your life playing baseball growing up and you got into coaching? Was this a goal for you at some point? I don't know if it was a goal, but I always felt like it was something that I wanted to do. Um, I was really, I really liked being a pitching coach when I was here, when I was at the University of St. Francis. I, I loved, you know, working solely with the pitchers, but at the same time, I always saw myself when I was a player as I was a two-way guy I, I played the outfield and in the infield and in college and I pitched and I hit I I ran bases I kind of I loved being a part of everything and when you're just a part of a pitching staff that's all I was concentrating on and I wanted to be involved more with the hitting side of things the base running side of things the 
the player procurement side of things, I thought all of it was was pretty cool to get into. And getting my feet wet up in the Northwoods, putting a team together with styles that I wanted to have, I liked it. It was kind of a turn on. It was it was cool to to do it every summer. Um, but to say that I always wanted to be a manager, I just know that I wanted to to continue in baseball outside of just being a pitching coach. Yeah, I'm always interested in talking to baseball players especially, but then when you get to coaches and managers as well, and everybody at some point is faced with a crossroads. Is do you continue with your baseball career? Do you find something else to do? Now, let's go back for you to, let's say, when you were in college playing baseball at Northern Illinois. Did you envision at that point that your life down the road would continue to be baseball? No, not really. I, I had a very unfortunate college career having had two elbow surgeries i was a six-year senior i wasn't any good anymore i was really good as a freshman and as a sophomore and then injuries just started to ruin every season that i had so i was i was getting prepared to step away and then having the ability to take um to take a summer to finish graduate school and to kind of figure out what I wanted to do with my life, I got a phone call from the Joliet franchise asking if I was healthy, if I was committed to giving this thing one more shot because I was the guy they thought could be lightning in a bottle if I could regain what I had in 2004 and five when I was in college in 2011. So I was in a crossroads, I guess you could say, but I finished graduate school and I went out and played and I got... I fell back in love, I guess. Well, let's say you don't make the team in Joliet. What's your backup plan at that point? Well, I have my, my, my master's degree. I would try to find a job doing something in sports. I got my, my, my master's in sport management up at Northern, and I worked for a team in the Prospect League. Uh, they were the CICL at the time. I had an internship up there. I was an intern, and... Um, I was the assistant director of facilities and game ops at Northern when I was a sixth year. So I had a job, I had classes, and I was also a student athlete all at the same time. And I enjoyed working in the athletic department at Northern. I don't know if it would have been there that would have continued to do, but I felt like I could get back into a position like that at a university somewhere. Am I correct, though, in saying that that phone call you got asking you to play in Joliet has essentially led to everything professionally that's happened to you since. Yes. So just to peel that back a little bit, going to graduate school was a big waste of time. Yes. Don't tell my parents. Well, that's what I tell everybody who's in graduate school to begin with. I just want to make sure we have that on record. Let's get it clear. I I was continuing my education to continue my quest to finish my athletic career. And I just so happened to be able to do it um, scholarshiped and didn't have to pay for graduate school. So a lot of people got to pay extra dough to get that thing done. I was able to continue uh, ride out my scholarship for as long as possible. And Coach Matthew at Northern is 100% uh, to blame, I guess, for me continuing on. But everything worked out for the best. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. This is not your first stint in Windy City. You started here in 2013 as the pitching coach. You spent three summers here. How did that relationship begin with the Thunderbolts? It started a long time ago, I guess. I grew up playing for Al Arimus's Prairie Gravel teams when I was 10, 11, 12, 
13 up till I was 19 until I went up to play in the Northwoods. I grew up playing for all of his his youth teams until I became part of the Big Gravel my one year of of senior year of high school and freshman year of college. But Al and I have had a relationship on different spectrums. He's known my father for a very long time. Um, Ron Beager was my manager the 0405 season when I was with Big Gravel. Um, and then obviously Al went on to buy the Joliet franchise and they knew who I was personally and the player I was prior to my injuries, which is what, which is why they took the, you know, the leap of faith going, we can give this guy a rookie contract, bring him into spring training. It's not going to hurt. And at the same time, if I do get back to what I was, I could be a big help to, to the team. And it kind of worked out that way, but that's where my relationship started with the owner of the Thunderbolts back in I don't know, 1996, seven. So this managerial job here, this was a long time coming. Long time coming. I don't know if I ever sat down with Al as a 12-year-old and told him, I want to manage one of your professional baseball teams one day. But it'd be great if you had that conversation with him. We could look back and, know. and find a recording of it somewhere, 12-year-old Brian Smith saying, listen, Al, if you ever have an independent baseball team and you're looking for a manager, I'm your guy. I'm your guy. And maybe, maybe we did. Uh, I don't really see myself being that comfortable talking to a guy who runs a team. I'm not really that guy who's going to step out in front of everybody and go, yo, let's do this. So, I don't know. It would be cool if it did, though. Well, you could have faked it, and we all would have believed you, I but we'll, we'll, we'll edit that part out, I guess, We're okay. going forward. So, you got the job with the Thunderbolts. Managing an independent team, and I guess it's, in some ways it's very similar to managing a collegiate summer team as you did the last three years in Rockford. But the first thing that you have to do is, is build a roster. You have to build a coaching staff. You really had to start from scratch. And yeah, the Thunderbolts had some carryover players from last year who are coming back this year. But at this point now, you're in charge of all, all personnel decisions. So what's your mindset going forward once you get that job? How do you start to build the team? I, I wanted to build the team in a certain way when I was hired, looking at the current roster back in October, I think it was. But then you look at the roster, you look at free agents available, you look at the, the information given to you from scouts or coaches that are out there on guys that are available, and you realize the team you want to put together isn't available. So in my eyes, I started to think of it like I was putting together a, uh, like a fantasy baseball team. I'm looking to find the best player available, no matter the position. If you bring in eight shortstops because they're the eight best players available at the NFL draft, best player available. You don't draft for need. You just take the best player available and you adapt to it. And that's how I started in the fall to put the roster together. I wanted to see guys who have had success either at the professional level, um, at the college level, or in their summer wood bat level. And you see guys who have translated success from smaller schools to professional baseball to independent baseball. Um, and you see guys who have not been able to translate from big time SEC schools to professional baseball or independent baseball. You, I tried finding the right group of guys that meshed with my personality you know, I've talked to a lot of these guys on the phone before the season started, before I even offered them a contract, 
and a lot of them I didn't offer contracts to because I felt like they were duds. You don't need a room full of duds. You need personalities to come in and want to be here. So the offseason was spent trying to find the right group of characters to put in the room. Your first managerial job in Rockford three years ago, how did that differ when you were trying to build that roster for a collegiate summer team? That was much different because the team started so late. They didn't announce the team until like November or December the year prior to the season starting. So I was hired in like September, but I was trying to get college guys to come up by calling schools, introducing myself, reintroducing myself, calling scouts and telling them they need to trust me that there's a team in Rockford now because there was no announcement. Everything was hidden because the Frontier League franchise was still a franchise until like a September 1st date or September 15th date. So they couldn't announce the team until after the team was out of the Frontier League. So we were out there in limbo while all these guys are signing in Madison, Kenosha, Lakeshore, Duluth. I have to only, I can only go off my word and say, trust me, we have a team here. And a lot of schools were like, nope, sorry, nope, sorry, nope, sorry. And then I found a handful of guys that trusted me that gave me their guys. And then we slowly started to snowball it from there. That would have been a heck of a scam if you actually were lying about there being a team in Rockford. I don't know if it's happened before, but these guys were... I don't know what's to gain from that. There's a ton of college leagues that start up and never start up. So I don't know if they were like, okay, buddy, like we... We know who you are because, you know, you, you played in the MAC, but we've never heard of a Northwoods League team in Rockford, so we're not even going to go off of your word. Overall, though, building a team in the Northwoods League, it's got to be completely different than building a team in the Frontier League because, number one, you don't have to deal with salaries. You're not dealing with the eligibility rules that you're dealing with in the Frontier League where you can only have a certain number of experienced players, a certain number of players with more than two years of experience. You have to have a, a certain number of rookies. I don't know if there are eligibility requirements in the Northwoods League, but in one way or another, you're dealing with all college kids. So I, I would guess that your restrictions in terms of recruiting guys are a lot looser. It's a lot looser, but at the same time, you have a, a roster of 30 players max. You have to have at least 16 pitchers on your roster at all times because they want to protect the arms. They play 75 games, 72 games in 75 days. So the roster is bigger. You have more pitchers that you have to have on your team so that everybody gets a fair share of their innings. And then the 14 position players, you kind of want to make sure you are getting the right guys and that the coaches know that you're not overloading. And like I said, I want eight shortstops, but you can't take eight shortstops in a college league because every college guy wants their kid to play shortstop or second base, the position they're going to play at that school. So I had to go through to make sure I had a good amount of, uh, you know, utility guys that can play anywhere. Specific, you're going to play second base, you're going to play short, you're going to play center guys. And then 16 arms that I knew I could trust from the start of the summer to the end of the summer. Some schools only let their guys throw 100 innings for the calendar year. And if they threw 80 at school, I only get them for 20, which is useless. So I would try to find schools that had no limits on guys guys that had very few innings pitched knowing that I can have them all summer um, so on paper it was easier but at the same time more of a headache because at any time this college kid can say I miss my girlfriend 
I, you know, I need to go to summer school because I didn't go to class and they upset you that way instead of just retiring like guys do here. Yeah, I guess theoretically at this level, you could still have somebody say, I miss my girlfriend and I'm leaving. I guess it doesn't happen as often. Right. You, there's a certain level of commitment once you're coming here. You're not just doing something over the summer during college. Like These players are committing to play baseball professionally, whether that's for one summer or for the next 15 years of their lives. This is an important next step for these people, for everybody in this league. Yeah, and I always tell people the difference between the two leagues, and it's no disrespect to either league, but it's, it's men to boys. In the Northwoods, you're dealing with boys. In the Frontier League, you're dealing with men. You can speak to these guys a little different. And they can go off and tell their coaches what their manager said to them, and nobody's going to care. But in the Northwoods, if you talk to a kid the wrong way, you're never going to get a kid from that school again because they're going to take it the wrong way. They're going to tell their mothers. College, boys, to grown men. Have you ever dealt with a player at this level as either a player or a pitching coach or in your very brief tenure now as manager where you have said something to someone that they took the wrong way and you had to deal with that in, in any uh, any sort of uncomfortable situation? Yeah, and normally it's just tone. It's not even the thing said. It's because it came out in a different tone, they took it personally instead of being joyful of a statement being made and smiling while you say it, if you say it with a straight face and more of a uh, derogatory tone or a, a deeper tone, they think you're coming at them. And again, grown men aren't afraid to speak up and they will tell you when they are unhappy. And it's news to me sometimes because I'm generally not um, one to talk down to or degrade somebody, but sometimes people take things that way. When you're talking about managerial philosophy, and you mentioned in the Northwoods League, you had to deal with players, college coaches, who tell you this guy can only work a certain number of innings, he has to play a certain position. You're much more flexible at this level, but at what point do you have to check yourself and how much faith do you have in what the players tell you? For instance, you have a pitcher who has no innings limit now. You could throw him as many innings as you want. You could throw him as many pitches as you want. Where do you cut off, and where do you trust what the player is telling you? Well, that's where the, the grown-up thing comes into play. The adult comes into play. I hope I can trust these guys, to be honest with us. I pitched in this league. I had elbow problems. I had to be honest with my pitching coach and my manager on days I didn't feel good. Days I feel great, I wanted the ball. And I hope these guys have the ability to speak to me and to Ollie and to Kevin and give them, you know, my hamstring's a little tight today. They have to tell us this stuff because if they don't perform well and we think they're healthy, they're going to go home. They're going to be cut. So they, want, they should want us to know when they are aching a little bit so we can at least use our hearts a little bit and maybe sit them. Give somebody else an opportunity to play because they need rest. And as much as everybody works out and trains their body to be healthy every day of the week, it's tough to play this game every single day. These guys, these guys need days off. They don't think they do. I was one of those guys who didn't think I ever needed a day off until you pitch four in a row. And then it's hard getting out of bed the next day. And you have no idea why, because you throw one inning four days in a row. Now you can't get out of bed. But you just think the, the, the athlete in you, the competitor in you, thinks you feel good. So the manager of the team, the pitching coach, the hitting coach, has to be the one that shuts it down, whether it's for a day or two, things like that. But we hope our guys... Um, feel comfortable enough with us to 
let us know how they're feeling so that we can help them out the best we can. In terms of managing a pitching staff, there has been a lot of discussion and a lot of change and innovation at the way things are handled, especially at the major league level over the last few years. There's teams going with six-man rotations. There's teams going with relievers to open a ball game instead of to close the ball game. There's We saw it a lot in the playoffs last year where, where teams are, are throwing their starting pitcher out for three or four innings at a time and not letting them face the, the, the batting order the second or third time through. When you look at how to manage a pitching staff, now in your first year as a manager at this level of baseball, what sort of mentality do you have? Are you looking to do things traditionally, depending on what your definition of traditional is? Or are you trying to work on different innovations that you can bring to the pitching staff? I don't think we need to be innovative here with our pitching staff, but we have to learn our guys. We have to know which starters we can ride and which bullpen arms we can ride so that on days we know we may have a shorter who's short of stuff that when he does get to the lineup a third time through, he does start to lose it. We know which guy we can go to to back him up that day. If we have a starter who's a bulldog and will take the ball for 120 pitches and his first pitch is just as good as his 120th pitch, we won't think about changing anything. It'll be the the John Smoltz, Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin years where they're given the ball and they're expected to finish it. The bullpen is somebody you don't even think about on those days. It's the day the bullpen gets to rest. Um, and that's something we have to learn with the guys we have. We don't really have much of a relationship with these players yet. You know, we've known them for 10 days. And when opening day comes on the 9th, we'll know them for two full weeks. And we have to figure out who these guys are. And it may take some time, but when we figure it out, we're going to adapt to their bodies to their strengths and our team strengths. Well, let's talk about the roster a little bit. What I've gotten from you so far is your starting rotation is going to have Smoltz, Maddox, Glavin type abilities. So I'll write that down. Other than that, when you look at the pitching staff that you brought in, what sort of qualities were you looking for in pitchers when you started to recruit guys? Really, their their thoughts about themselves. Do they see themselves as a guy who can put a team on their back and carry them for five, six, seven starts at a time. And if you have guys that can handle that, you know you have a three-week stretch during the season, four-week stretch during the season where your starters can carry your team. And then when you talk to bullpen guys, you find out what their strengths have been in the past and if they put teams on their back. And again, like you said, when you talk about how playoffs have been ran, usually during the, during the, the grand scheme of a baseball season, the relievers are extremely important the first third of the season. The middle third of the season, all your starters are strong and you want to ride them out to give your relievers some rest. That back end of the season, your starters are tired. They've thrown 180, 190 innings for the season or in our in our league, they're at 100 innings, 120 innings. Now they need their rest again to get strong for the postseason. So two thirds of your season is controlled by your bullpen. One-third is by your starting rotation, and that's normally right in the middle. And that's what we plan to do with our staff is read out our starters so that when we get to the middle third of our season, we can trust them and ride them out so our bullpen guys can get rest and we can go seven innings with a starter and throw two relievers, eight innings with a starter, one reliever. Early in the season, these guys may go six innings, and we may have to use four bullpen guys. And that's something that you can't do every game of the year that bullpen's going to be worn out. 
So in the beginning, the bullpen's going to be strong, going to be ready to rock. In the middle third, those starters are going to be ready to carry this team. And towards the end, we're going to turn it right back over to the bullpen, who's going to be strong again. When you're bringing in talent for a pitching staff coming into spring training and out at the start of the season, how much value do you put into what you see from each of these guys and the way they're pitching? How much do you put into what you may hear from a scout or somebody who recommended you to them? And and how much do you put into just their career numbers? It's kind of split. Um, you always want to – some people don't, don't believe numbers as much. I always – believe that the numbers are there for a reason they obviously have some sort of success whether it's team success helping them out you can really dig deep into numbers to find out if a guy's era is truly a 288 or a a 268 by reading through their splits their situational stuff to see how good they actually were in certain situations or if somebody was bailing them out at the end of it Um, so seeing it is you know is a big helper to believing it but there's a lot of people that go off of off of what people tell them and at the same time this is our job i don't want somebody else getting me fired from my job i want to be able to see guys prove that they can have success in this league i want to see it for myself if i see somebody who has terrible stuff but in his career has had great numbers then at some point i'm going to step back and let them be who they are and trust that they're going to have their you know their baseball card at the end of the season what's on the back of their baseball card every year it's always going to be there um but having a chance in spring training to have so many live innings that we've had we've seen a lot of arms we've seen a lot of at bats and so far the guys are proving to be who they are throughout spring training what sort of qualities were you looking for in the hitters that you brought in this year that was tough. I, I wanted to find guys who could play in this league and have success in these ballparks. Obviously, Ozinga Field is not the easiest ballpark to hit homers out of. But there are six or seven stadiums in this league where it's crazy easy to hit homers out of. So to just to say that you don't look for power hitters because we play here half the time um, would not do me any justice because we're going to play a lot of games at some very small ballparks. So we need some guys who can drive the ball into the gaps, maybe just straight pull hitters. Maybe they only hit the ball 350 feet. Well, those aren't homers at Ozinga Field, but those are homers at four other ballparks. So trying to find guys who have had success or had had some power numbers in their career, and then finding guys who my hitting coach in college he was our hitting coach here in Windy City. Tom Carcione referred to certain guys as fleas, those little guys that always just a- that aggravate you every single day, trying to find guys that were constantly on base, guys that give the pitchers headaches because they always have the threat of running. They may not run, may not run all the time, but there's the threat that they're always there that always gives the hitters an advantage because that pitcher is thinking of something else other than the, pit, the next pitch at hand, the thinking of the guy on base that may run. So trying to find some fleas, trying to find some some power hitters. And at the end of the day, um, because of how the landscape of the league is and the eight turf fields, a lot of these guys are slick defenders now. Everybody's played on this turf. It makes everybody look so pretty. Um, and if you can't look pretty on the turf, you may want to become an outfielder. So the infielders that we brought in all look slick on the turf 
and that's something that we're going to probably bank on uh, is our defensive strength in the infield. And because of the landscape of the roster, we're going to have more more infielders and outfielders, and some guys are going to have to move out of position, but their athleticism will make them make that transition easy on them. Yeah, and that's what we talked about a little bit when you were discussing what it was like to coach in the Northwoods League. Sometimes you couldn't move a guy to another position. Right. Now it's totally up to you, and I mean, ideally you have the consent of the player you're moving as well, but if you need to move somebody somewhere else, you can. How important is that versatility and that athleticism that you mentioned? At the end of the day, these guys want to hit. I don't think they care where they play. I just think they want to hit. So if you can help a guy who may be a second baseman who can run real well or a shortstop who can run real well, but he's a backup and he really wants to play and he's hitting really well, we got to get him working the outfield whether it's in center field because they've always played up the middle and that's where they see the ball the best, they probably cover the most ground because they probably run pretty well. Um, and letting them get them, re- get them reps. And batting practice is great for a lot of different reasons. It's probably most beneficial for people to get reads off of the bat. And having them in the outfield during batting practice helps these guys get reads. And we've been up front with the guys on the team letting them know that if they're hitting, they're going to be in the lineup. So we're going to figure out a way to make it work. There's only nine positions you can play. And if you're an infielder only, then you're, you're strung to just one spot or two spots. If you're an outfielder only, that's all you can do. Well, you only have three opportunities to play. So we want them to be open. And at the end of the day, we're going to look elsewhere during the season for best player available to always bring in to try to make this team a little bit better, a little bit better. As we're coming up on opening day in Joliet, has the preseason, the offseason, everything up to this point since you've been named manager, has it matched your expectations or is there anything that has thrown you off in any way? I don't know if I had any expectations. I expected it to be stressful. Um, I expected my learning of the league rules, the player classifications, the salary cap, stuff like that to stress me out a little bit, and it did as it should have, but there have been um, managers in this league that have sent me text messages and phone calls throughout the year, throughout the last six, seven months, I guess, um, being open with me saying, hey, listen, if you need any help with anything, feel free to reach out. Like, we're always a, we're always a here to help, and the managers in the league have been here for a while. These, guys, these are the good old boys. They've all been doing this for a very long time, so having a handful of them open up their arms and say, hey, listen, if you need anything... I'm a phone call away. It's helped a lot because I have reached out to a few of these guys with specific questions about rosters and guys and um, their thoughts on what the roster was, guys they used to have, other guys who have played in the league. And it's been it's been very like self-reassuring that there are guys in the league who are you know opponents of ours trying to help me out because they want the league to be the best it can be. How do you feel going into the start of this season? Are you nervous in any way? Are you excited? Or does it just seem like business as usual? You've been through this managing process before. I I mean, personally, I think it's business as usual. I'm not really one to be extremely stressed out. I know it may frustrate some people. You know, a win's a win, a loss is a loss. I, I'm not really the most excitable guy ever. I don't really get too high. I don't really get too low. Um, I just want to believe that the guys we have in camp are going to bust it for us until they can't do it anymore. 
and that there are there are guys out there who are going to be available to help this this club out when needed and being able to be open um, be be trusted by the players is going to be huge if they're comfortable if they trust us they're going to be themselves they're going to play hard and that's all we can ask for I'll leave you on this one. What is the makeup of this team right now? What should fans get excited to start feeling good about going into the 2019 season? Oh, my gosh, Tara. Save the, the hardest one for last. Yeah, it's good. That's good. I'm excited to see our back end of the bullpen. Um, I know it's something that probably fans don't want to hear because that means they have to stay until the 7th, 8th, and ninth inning when people want to go home after the 6th. Oh, we got fireworks coming up, maybe. Well, we will have we will have a very strong back end of the bullpen I am comfortable to say that if we have a lead after six, we're going to be coming out on top quite a bit if these guys pitch to their abilities. And it's always fun to watch when you know you can basically cut a game to the sixth and have the starter hang them up and understand we got ourselves W. And that's how when I played in Joliet in 2011, our starting pitchers just wanted to go six because our back end of the bullpen was locked down. And everybody knew it. Everybody in the league knew it. If the ball got to the seventh inning, we were going to win. And I want every team in this league to see it so that our guys can believe it. And then when it happens, we can be comfortable as a staff trusting our guys, handing it over for an easy W with a one-run lead with three innings left. Brian Smith, the new manager of the Windy City Thunderbolts, thanks for your time. It should be a, a fun summer. Yeah, I am excited. 